welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you have joined us. Before we get started today, I want to tell you about two events coming up that you may want to participate in. You can join WDET's news director, Jerome Vaughn, reporter Jake Neer, and more DET staffers for some really fun trivia and talk before the next Democratic debate on Tuesday, February 25th at Hopcat in Midtown. Those events have been a lot of fun as we've been doing them over the years. And if you can come out and watch the debate with other listeners and with folks here at WDET, I think it makes all of the things that you hear maybe a little more bearable. Also, on March 4th, Latino USA, which you hear Saturday mornings at 7 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 10 p.m. here on WDET, is coming to Detroit. I'm going to join host Maria Inahosa at the Senate Theater in Southwest Detroit at 7 p.m. for a live conversation. We're going to talk about the presidential election and campaign. We're going to talk about the role that Latino voters will play in that campaign. We're going to talk about Detroit and Latino Detroit. Uh, the program is going to report be recorded for the In the Thick podcast. You can get information about both events at wtdet.org slash events. Up first today, here in Detroit, the Motor City, no one knows about or thinks about cars quite like we do. But in recent years, there's been a real shift in the industry that's worth discussing. And it's the move away from automakers calling themselves or thinking of themselves as car companies and instead thinking of themselves as mobility companies. Ford, of course, has been leading the way among domestic automakers, and the company's massive investment in the long-vacant Michigan Central Station as a new nerve center for its mobility efforts is a sign of just how dedicated and serious the automaker is about change. Other automakers, of course, are also moving into an uncertain future defined by principles of autonomy and powered by technology. Here to dig into the changes and their implications is Auto Trader Senior Analyst Michelle Krebs. Michelle, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. Always fun. Yes, it's great to have you here. So we've been talking for a long time about the coming changes to automakers because of technology and autonomy in particular. But talk about what you're seeing them actually do and this idea of calling themselves something really different than what they have for for almost 100 years now is, I think, uh, a very bold expression of, of the things that are that are happening. Well, that's right. Um, but it's a tricky balance because what automakers have to do is continue to focus intensely on today's business because that is what is making the money. That is what is making the money to invest in all of these mobility uh, ventures, autonomous vehicles, electric vehicles, new ways of uh, getting around. Um, and they, they – that we don't know when the tipping point is for that. So, you know, it's out there. We know we'll have an EV future. We know there will be autonomous vehicles. We know there will be new ways of acquiring transportation. But when is that tipping point? Right. And and so when we see, for instance, Ford struggling with profits now, but also spending a lot of money redoing Michigan Central Station. I think that's a great illustration of that tension that you're talking about. It, it is. And um, 
you know, we're seeing it to General Motors. They were in the news this week. Uh, they have uh, withdrawn from Australia, from New Zealand. Um, from They've sold their plants in uh, Thailand to mm-hmm. a Chinese automaker. Uh, it's the same thing. It, this is also coming at a time when auto sales are weakening. Um, that's why we're seeing losses. Daimler reported a loss. Um, so it's coming at this time when uh, the, the market is dipping they're really having to pull in um, cost so that they can keep making those um, investments for the future. It is a really tricky business. Yeah. So what kinds of things can automakers do or should they be doing right now to maintain that that auto sales business? I mean, for a long time, we've talked about the balance between SUVs and small cars, mm-hmm. the difficulty making profits nowadays off of small cars, but of course SUVs make a lot of money and people are less interested, I guess, in buying them, in the, at least in the numbers that they had been in, in recent years. What are you supposed to do if you're Ford or if you're GM or if you're, if you're Daimler uh, to, to maintain what you have now so that you can get to that future? Well, it's an interesting time because just as in society we see uh, great disparity in the haves and have-nots, we're seeing the same thing occur in the auto industry. If you look at vehicles selling over $50,000, that percentage has gone way, way up. If you look at uh, you know vehicles that cost under $30,000, that's way down, and we know there's a big affordability uh, crisis. Um, so we are seeing a lot of focus on the higher end. It's a more stable market. You know, there's bigger profits in it. But I keep wondering, how are you going to build your future buying base if you've abandoned the lower end of the market? Now, one of the options is those people go to used cars because we had a whole bunch of vehicles come off lease because leasing was at record levels. And so that gives them a place to go. And we are starting to see manufacturers um, make those more attractive. Yeah. So so let's talk about this idea of mobility companies mm-hmm. versus car companies. I think uh, that doesn't mean the same thing to everyone. Uh, and and we should try to define what it means for these automakers. And I, I, I'm not sure it means the same thing to each of them. I think Ford and GM, for instance, have had really different approaches to this to this idea. Talk about what they mean, though, when they say we are going to become a mobility company. Well, if you look at General Motors, they are all in on electric vehicles. They are skipping right over hybrids. They're, it's a big bet. They're going big into electric vehicles. Um, they're going big into autonomous vehicles. They've got the, they bought cruise automation out in San Francisco. They're, they're out there big time um, trying to uh, make autonomous vehicles viable. Um, Ford is more a little more conservative. They're they're doing more hybrids throughout their line, uh, knowing that we'll get to electrification. By the way, Toyota is a similar approach. Mm-hmm. Um, but they they bought Argo AI in Pittsburgh, so they're um, very active in autonomous vehicles as well. Look at FCA; they're lagging way behind. That may not be a bad place for them. They're they're partnering with Waymo um, to do Google autonomous vehicles and doing partnerships more on the uh, right. that way. So right. everybody's got a different approach. Yeah, uh, you just said FCA. I had called it Daimler. That shows how outdated oh, my. That's a different. <laughs> Daimler's still there. It's Daimler's just not there. FCA. It's just not FCA, and I'm used to. I'm <laughs> but, still calling it Daimler. But that brings up a good that. point, Stephen. Too the other thing we are seeing is. 
uh, collaborations, mergers. You know, we've got FCA, Fiat Chrysler, merging yeah. with Francis PSA. And we've got a lot of interesting partnerships, Ford and Volkswagen, GM and Honda. Yeah. So let's talk about what Ford is doing in particular at Michigan Central Station, which if if you've driven in that vicinity at all in the last uh, 12 to 18 months, I mean, you're seeing a really dramatic change just from the outside. I have not yet been inside to see what they're doing, but the level of investment is impressive. They're also doing some other things in that area, yes. bringing people already down to, to that area to be working. What is it that they're that they're creating there? Well, um, they initially uh, moved their electric vehicle engineers there. That was the first step. Then they bought the the rail station, and that is apparently going to be their autonomous vehicle um, center. And then you will see that whole stretch of Michigan Avenue out to Dearborn and even to Ann Arbor become pretty active with those kinds of businesses. Um, I think part of it, too, is to attract young talent. It takes a different kind of talent, they, uh, young people who want a different kind of work environment. So I think that's the other thing that, that is behind that. They don't want to sit in cubicles in Dearborn necessarily. So. <laughs> and, and there's a connection between what they're doing there and what they're doing in Ann Arbor with the M-City, with the University of Michigan, right? Right. That whole stretch, there's... Uh, M-City, there's also the American Mobility Center out in Ypsilanti, um, where there's a lot of testing of autonomous vehicles going on as well. So there's a, this whole corridor that um, is very active in, in all of these new mobility services, specifically um, autonomous vehicles. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Michelle Krebs. She's a senior analyst at Auto Trader. We're talking about all the changes that are unfolding in the auto industry, all of the things that look different, not just now, but will look really different uh, in, the, in the near future and, of course, in the distant future. Uh, give us a call and tell us whether you're nervous about these shifts in the car companies moving toward mobility and autonomous vehicles. What are your thoughts on driverless cars and trucks? Uh, have you ordered a car online, which is a way you can buy a car now that you couldn't 10 years ago? Do you or someone you know work in the auto sector? And give us a call and tell us how you've felt these changes. What is different about your job or your work environment um, because of all of these shifts in the auto industry. As always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, before we get to listeners, I want to I ask you about the move toward autonomous vehicles, which is, for me, the most exciting part of all these changes. I mean, I, I am somebody who likes cars. I, I like to drive cars. I like to ride in cars. But the idea of being able to, to not do that when I don't want to and still be able to get where I want to go and not have to use a cab or an Uber is, to me, just uh, um, it, it's, it's just a terribly exciting possibility. Plus, we're getting older, Stephen, yeah, and it's a huge right. advantage to people <laughs> right. who Our reflexes are a little slower yeah. than they used to be, and, right? And, and that's a great advantage of autonomous vehicles yeah. is that for elderly and, and people you know, with uh, physical disabilities who who haven't been able to have that kind who of can't, freedom. Who so can't drive I think the, that's the most exciting. Yeah. So, so where are we yeah. with 
the development of that and how close are we to the idea that these will be on the roads? I see cars all over now that say they're autonomous. And I always wonder, I mean, I'm sure they're test vehicles, but I always wonder, is the person I'm looking at in the driver's seat actually driving that car or is the car driving itself? Well, a lot of technical work has been accomplished from what engineers say to me is, you know, we're 90% there on the technical part, but the last 10% is really difficult. Um, I think where, where what you will see is you will see them in um, geofenced areas where they, they just do a certain circuit um, before anything. Uh, they'll be, they, you and I are not going to have them in our garage. They will be owned by a fleet operator probably, hmm. and you'll summon them they'll when you it. want them. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Uh, but we're still a long way away from it. There, there are still a lot of challenges in terms of who owns them? How do you make money? We can't even get legislation passed uh, that that makes it clear that they can be tested on the roads across the United States. So. And you also have a huge infrastructure investment that would have to accompany this to make it so that these cars can navigate the roads. And right? we're so good at infrastructure, aren't <laughs> right. we? Yeah, that's, that, we're not uh, behind on that uh, in any yes. way. Yes, and and that's that's a, infrastructure is a challenge for electric vehicles as well. Yeah. That's right. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Glenn in the cast quarter. Glenn, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank hey. you for taking my call. Sure. Um, this uh, idea of going to electric cars, GM says they're all in. I don't think they're all in at all. Uh, the biggest problem with electric cars is range anxiety. Hmm. And GM doesn't seem to be addressing this at all. And so when you say range anxiety, Glenn, you're, you're saying that if you wanted to drive from Detroit to Cleveland, for instance, and you had an electric vehicle, where would you, where would you charge it, right? Yeah, exactly. Where would you charge it and how long would it take to charge uh, the vehicle? Tesla addressed that uh, in the beginning with their cars by installing, uh, with a program to install a high-speed chargers. Uh, every 200 miles across this entire country. Hmm. And none of the other companies are looking at it or talking about it or hmm. dealing with it. Now, GM had a great car that resolved the range anxiety problem, and that was the Volt. And those are the plug-in hybrids. Right. Because when you run out of electricity, you've got to fall back for gas. Right. But they've given that up. Well, they're, they've they're come saying up with they... All... Yeah. Sorry? Go ahead. Go ahead, Glenn. So they've come up with all electric cars, but they're not addressing the refueling issue at all. And that's as long as that's not addressed, the car is going to be like a local city car. It's not going to be a long range car. Huh. I, it's a like, great issue to it's a great issue to bring up, Glenn. I'm glad you called, Michelle. How are we to think of that? As GM says, it's going to transition, you know, almost completely to making electric electric vehicles. Right. And it's a long stretch. But I will say there has been a lot of progress made in putting in uh, EV uh, chargers in. Um, there, Electrify America is an organization that was funded by the Volkswagen Dieselgate situation. And there, there are a lot of uh, uh, charging stations going in across the U.S., still not enough. 
Um, and certainly there are more on the coast than we see in, in the Midwest. I would also say there are great advances being made in terms of range. You know, we're seeing 300-mile range. Um, so that that's going to continue to mm-hmm. improve. What, mm-hmm. what we really need is a big breakthrough in batteries and in terms of the power density and the cost of them and the weight. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Glenn, thanks very much again for the call and the questions. Let's go to James in Windsor. James, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Go ahead. Okay. um, Right now there's a pilot project going on in Saskatchewan um, for hydrogen. And what they found at the University of Calgary in 2014 was they can actually ignite underneath the ground and produce hydrogen with a special membrane. And there is no carbon coming out at all. The prices, they, uh, this is the first pilot project, $3 million. They figure they can produce the hydrogen from 20 cents to 80 cents a kilo. Presently, it runs at 260 to 580 a kilo. Hmm. So everybody's putting all their money into the electric vehicles and they're fighting with range and charging systems and everything else. When, when the hydrogen, when this pilot project finally takes off, the costs or savings are going to be enormous, and electric vehicles are going to go to the wayside. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting that's an interesting point, James. I had not heard of this experiment you're talking about with with hydrogen. I'm assuming you're saying hydrogen powered vehicles. So Michelle, talk about the, well, the the competition for how will power cars in the future? Will it be electric? Will it be hydrogen or something and, else? And much work is going on with hydrogen fuel cell vehicles. In fact, I. You know, I remember riding in the first hydrogen fuel cell vehicle in Germany with Daimler decades ago. It's always like 20 years away. It is what uh, automakers are looking at as like the 2050 uh, solution. Toyota's doing a lot of work on that. GM is doing a lot of work on that. Um, So it's out there. But we're complaining about not having electric charging stations. <laughs> How about hydrogen How, where would fueling stations? Yeah. But it it does have a lot of, of promise. It's just much farther out. I think it's the step beyond electric vehicles. And yeah. and by the way, a lot of the technology in electric vehicles will also be used in uh, fuel cell vehicles. So it's not like we're wasting our time um, on electric vehicles. Yeah. Let's go to Lee in Detroit. Lee, what's on your mind? Hi. Yeah. Uh, really interesting conversation. Um, one thing I picked up on, though, was when Michelle uh, Krebs mentioned, uh, you know, that the the um, over $50,000 car segment is uh, <laughs> growing yeah. and the under 30, uh, mm-hmm. you know, seems to be going away um, and that uh, uh, people that cannot afford the over 50000 are probably going to be forced into the used car, um, used car segment. Sure. I, I just thought that was really interesting. I wonder what you think that says about, you know, uh, the the disparity, first of all, and then where that's going to take the car c- companies going in the future, because these new technologies often are, you know, come out as, as, are as more expensive vehicles. Sure. No, Lee, I think that's a really great point. And, and I, I will say as, as, you know, a car buyer, I have sworn off the idea of new cars because they're just too expensive. And, and it's true that you can get a used car that's Three to five years old right. that has under forty or thirty thousand miles on it for a really great price, and I'm not sure why you would buy a new car if 
if you could get a used car that's going to last you another five or six years uh, for less money. Yeah, the interesting statistic I looked at, like to look at is in 2012, 6% of vehicles sold had price tags of over $50,000. It's now up to 23%. Wow. Uh, percent. So, yes, they are getting more expensive. Um, and wages haven't kept up with uh, the increase in price of vehicles. Um, I don't know what the ultimate answer is. I, there are There is a lot of talk about it. There are automakers looking at it. That's why some companies have stayed in the car business because – uh, cars tend, uh, you know, lower price sedans are more affordable to mm-hmm. uh, budget buyers. Um, and I do wonder where is this next generation? If you've abandoned that market as an automaker, how are you going to lure people in when they're up farther up the food chain in terms of able it, to buy something? You know, my other issue with, with the high cost of the car is that how long is it going to last, right? If I'm going to keep a car for 10 or 11 years and I've got uh, a Jeep Wrangler that is going into its 11th year mm-hmm. of, of life and has been paid off forever. That's a great deal, mm-hmm. but there's no technology in that car right now. I mean, if you think about a car I bought in 2010, you can't even hook your cell phone into it without a, a hard co- a cord. Um, you know, the, the cost seems to be outstripping the usefulness in some ways. In other words, that you have to buy a car more frequently just to keep up with the technology. Well, and, and safety features. That's I mean, right. I bet you don't have a backup camera. No. Oh, no. Gosh, <laughs> and, no. <laughs> and, and that's the number one safety feature that people want. It seems mm-hmm. so basic for people who have had a lot of new cars, but it's not unusual to keep a, a car 10 or 11 years. It's interesting that despite we've sold 85 million new cars in the last five years, but the average age has not budged. It's still around 10 and 11 years old. And that speaks volumes about um, the engineering that has gone into vehicles to make them so much better. Yeah. Okay, Michelle Krebs, Senior Analyst at Auto Trader. Always great to catch up with you here on Detroit Today. Thank you for having me here. Yeah. It's fun. Thanks for coming. Up next, we're going to continue talking about the transportation business, but we're going to shift the focus to Boeing and what its troubles tell us about the ways we take air travel for granted and what the future of that may look like. Stay with us on Detroit Today. Thank you.